What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, for big tech, size matters. I see the rest of the world not creating these great companies because of impediments or because of antitrust concerns. Congress debating six, six bills on antitrust in the tech industry, and there's history on the line. Journalist Alex Kantrowitz. I think we're seeing an expansion of what antitrust means in this country. Do we want to keep it narrow like we had in the 1890s, or do we want to move it into something a little bit more broad? And Carlos Watson of Aussie Media. It's tough. It's not a black and white. You appreciate the innovation, but you also know that they're having massive societal impact. Not all of it good, not all of it clear. Warren Buffett emptying his pockets. He has given away $41 billion over the last 16 years in these installments to these five philanthropies. So he has given away half of his Berkshire Hathaway shares. And Buffett speaking out on other billionaires giving. Brings up the, the front that philanthropy is a hot topic right now and one that is worthy uh, for Congress to revisit the tax policy for charitable contributions. Those stories today, plus headlines from the Fed, Amazon, and really crowded airplanes. It's Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Fed Chair Jay Powell testifying before Congress yesterday saying inflation is expected to drop back towards the longer run goal despite growing concern. I will say that these effects have been larger than we expected and, and they may turn out to be more persistent than, than we've expected. But the, the, the incoming data are, are very much consistent with, with the, the view that these are, these are factors that will wane over time and that inflation will then move down. Toward, uh, toward our goals. Powell said it is very unlikely that uh, the economy is headed towards a 1970s-style inflation, which peaked above 10%. And uh, we can only hope that he is correct, Joe. Yes. Uh, it doesn't have to go from, you know, where it could be a problem to 70s-style inflation. So I, I, I understand what he's saying. There are, there's some middle ground that might not be great for financial assets. But that was something to behold back then in the uh, uh, back then in the 70s. And you just look around the world where we've seen you know, that made, you know, made the 70s look tame. Some of the countries in South America, et cetera, right, where, where you'll get Zimbabwe, every hundred thousand dollar bill yeah. every once in a while, just to remind you what real inflation looks like. Yeah. <laughs> Weimar, you know, the wheelbarrow full of money. It matters. You know, it's not free. You can't just wouldn't it be great? Uh, you know, the question is if always, is this time money? different? Is this right. time different? And, uh, you know, anytime people tend to say that, it's a little concerning. But if you could create right, but wealth, the other problem, if you could the create other, but wealth is, by printing it, we, we'd, we'd never, it'd be the best, best thing in the world. Right. The, yeah. all, the one distinction, though, and I don't know if you think it's a distinction or not this time, is that everybody's doing it. And I'm not saying everybody's doing it makes it right. The question right. is whether it effectively 
uh, negates everybody because everybody's doing it. Maybe it changes the dynamic right. of how it of, of what it means. Like when race tech stocks, price. yeah, race the bottom versus when tech stocks go up and you're you know you got ten overpriced dogs that you're trading for five overpriced cats or whatever. They, that they, eventually they comes back right. to it reverts to the mean eventually too. I mean it's. Yeah. All it takes is somebody to blink and somebody to not do it for, for the whole thing to kind of fall apart. The creating wealth is about, it's not about printing, it's about doing what, and, and we just talked about Microsoft, and I, we're going to have a debate coming up about what Congress wants to do to technology, and I, I'm really torn about this. And I know you guys have looked closely at, at some of the proposals for what we're going to do to Amazon or what we're going to do to Alphabet or what we're going to do to technology, and, I, and I'm torn. I'm torn. I'm really torn uh, because I don't see how we're being harmed. And I see the rest of the world not creating these great companies because of impediments or because of antitrust concerns that are based on com- competition, not on consumers. So we're going to talk. I, I see some, Andrew, I see, you know, and you come from a, it's in your genes, the, the antitrust, uh, the antitrust, yes. uh, at, at least to think about it. Are the things that these companies are doing, favoring their own products, favoring their own apps, is that just good business or is that, is that you know, a crooked way of, of doing things? So I'm completely mixed on this. As you know, um, I, I don't think it's bad business. I think it's what every business typically is supposed to be doing until potentially, and this is more of the public policy question, there may be a moment where you get to such a scale and size and where you are so large that by doing that, which is, as I said, it is what most businesses are supposed to do. But maybe you get to a place where it actually is harming competition. And then, of course, then it, you have to make a decision what to do about it. And that's well, the part that you, you just don't know. They're, they're, they're trying to harm competition because that's what, we, that's what they do. Is it harming the, business. the customer? Is it harming the, the consumer? Like, I guess AT&T when it was, you know... Ma Bell. Ma Bell, that was hurting probably customers. But you shouldn't... But they also had lots of government, uh, you know, reasons for why they got that big. They had the rights to the, to the lines. Right. They had everything that was kind of handed to them. You can make the case that that's a monopoly. And I, I guess you could make the case that these big Internet companies got there first. And by buying up all the competition, they keep anybody else from getting bigger. Uh, which is going to be an- interesting to see what happens with this Amazon purchase of the movie studio. Is that going to be allowed to go through? Right. That's going to be watched very closely because it's an actual acquisition. But looking at the companies that are already there that aren't making new purchases, how do you kind of decide right. whether to split them up? But, but you watch the last 20 years. Look at what our companies have done. I mean, it's in, it, it, mostly from, from this country. And, and I would argue, look at all the jobs they've created. Look at all the shareholder wealth that they've right. created. But there, th- then there's other people that say Bezos... Don't come back. Did you see that position? When you go up there, we yep. don't need you billionaires. Right. So just stay up there in orbit. And, and that's the dichotomy that we're seeing right now. There are people that think, you know, that these are not positive things, that, uh, positive data points. Look, I think it's impossible to say that, that this is not, that there has not been remarkable innovation over the last 20 years. As that a has benefited all companies. of us. And, 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 I, and, and I think it's impossible to look. I will go out, I don't know if it's go out on a limb, and I'll say, look, if you really believe that Amazon was such a monopoly, it's kind of impossible to believe we'd be having a conversation about a, co- a company called Shopify that now has a $100 billion valuation, right? I mean, let's right. just, let's, let, you know, it, it, the, the, there are some things that just don't make sense about making some of these, these arguments. Um, 
Are there things that are not great that, that they've done? I'm sure. If you look at some of the third-party seller stuff, where, they're, where, where they see somebody selling something on their, on their system, and then they potentially go over the wall, take the data, and start uh, trying to compete with them. You got to figure out how you want to deal with those kinds of things. But well, I, I don't know. You, uh, but Joe, if I had said to you, if I had said the word TikTok to you three years ago, you would have looked at your watch. So no, when people say, when people say, where's the still, innovation? That's still you, what I, I would say if you if you said TikTok. But but but, the, but you know the point. The point is there is still innovation in this space. It, it, I think if, there is. If, if Facebook was such a monopoly, you you would still really be looking at your watch. And, and, so I do think that. There is innovation in this space. The question is sort of, you know, what the damage is to all of the developers, maybe on, on, on Apple's uh, Apple system. I don't know. But but then again, if Apple didn't have its app store, I'm not sure we would have the opportunities. Uh, right. And getting back to how this built. whole conversation started, the reason Jay Powell can say this is not going to last is in no small part because of all the disinflationary forces that all this great technology has given all of us. Let's tell you about three big stories concerning Amazon today. One of the largest labor unions in the United States is going to be voting tomorrow on a sweeping plan to organize Amazon warehouse workers and drivers. The International Brotherhood of Teamsters is gathering this week for its annual convention and is going to be voting on a resolution that aims to make supporting Amazon workers and helping them achieve a union contract a key priority. The initiative, which is expected to pass, would fund and assist workers with organizing. Number two, sources say the Federal Trade Commission will review Amazon's $8.4 billion deal to buy MGM. The agency's new chairwoman, Lena Khan, has been critical of Amazon in the past. And then third, Amazon's two-day Prime Day event ended just hours ago. According to Adobe Analytics, the first day drew in the most online spending over a 24-hour period so far this year, with Monday alone surpassing $5.6 billion. Adobe says that all major retailers got a boost from Amazon's Prime Day celebrations. And, and guys, I didn't even realize it at the time. The day that that kicked off, I got an email from every small online website I've ever bought anything from. I, I got sucked into a couple of them before I even realized that this was all surrounding Prime Day. So Prime Day may be in a situation where it lifts lots of boats. Listening as Not a... As, no, I was listening as a viewer. So was it two-day Prime Day? It was a two-day Prime Day. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, see, Which that's I, why... I didn't I, buy anything on Amazon <laughs> for a change, but I bought from a lot of the other retailers that piggyback off of this and offer you right. some pretty steep discounts. See, I would benefit from watching Squawk Box to know that that's... You pay attention. Yeah, to know... Okay, so... The, yeah, but I'm knowing after it's already been... And see... Too late. Prime day, and too late Becky and Joe, and, there, and there's your competition for you. That, that's right. what competition does, right? right? Becky's buying on other sites that are lowering their prices. Airline industry groups, flight attendants and lawmakers are asking the federal government to do more to stop unruly passengers on flights. This year, we've seen an increase in reports of verbal abuse, failure to comply with a federal mask mandate and assault by airline passengers. You've seen the videos on this. We'd like all strong males to the front of the airplane to handle the problem passenger. The FAA said that it's received about 3,100 reports of behavior like this just since the start of the year. Flight attendant unions have requested a voluntary self-defense course be part of paid mandatory training. Some airlines have scaled back sales of alcohol, especially on short flights. Industry group Airlines for America has asked the attorney general to commit to full and public prosecution of onboard acts of violence. 
And Senator Jack Reed plans to introduce legislation this month to combat abusive passenger behavior. Guys, you've all seen the videos. You know what happens in these situations. Uh, there's a lot more of them. There is air rage out uh -huh. there right now. People are, people are already anxious. I'm the driving. Mask, manda mask mandates have been problems, and, and they have to ask, act like uh, bouncers in the air. I'm driving. Flight attendants. Yes. I'm dri you know, you can you do this. You can make a. I do this. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can make a family. They, you know, some people think, well, if you drive, you're wasting vacation days where you could be vacating. Yeah, but if you're if you but, have fun but on the road, if you're having if fun, you're fun on the road, road okay. which is possible, right. as long as you're together, right? Right. Right. And it's certainly there's a lot of things besides this, but you you throw that in in the mix with traveling. Well, you get a delay. I, I, for me, there's, I, I don't know about you well, guys, now they're just me, gonna if cancel it's less your than flight. 10 hours, I will drive. Right, if it's less than 10 hours, because by the time you drive to the airport, uh, you sit and you 10 wait. 10 hours? Well, yeah, if it's less than 10 hours. I, that's about where we go. Actually, sometimes 12. But there's not a lot of, if you can't get there on a direct flight, if you have to consider the two hours early you have to show up, if you have to consider getting your luggage, how far of a drive it is to the airport on either side of the trip, it ends up to not be much longer, and you get to go and, and come as you please. You know, you're in a mask, car when you're there. Wearing a mask the entire I, time in the right. airport and on oh, the plane. That's a lot. Um, I'm going half that, five hours. Five-hour drive I'll do. After that, I get it on a plane. Well, your, your EV can't go more than five hours. So, <laughs> you, you know, you, you can't do, you know, you can't just go in and fill it up. You need my idea. You need my Waffle House uh, idea. <laughs> you know, you guys glossed over. I told you that I sat at New York. I don't have an EV yet. I know you. I don't have an EV yet. Coming back you from did? Pittsburgh, sat I in Newark three hours coming back from three hours. Try that sometime because the gate that no one could leave, no one could right. leave. So the gate couldn't delay? be open. It was they blamed it on weather. I didn't uh, know. A weather delay. If you sit in one of those, it I got mean, a little that, scary. That will expand your time, Andrew. Like forget five hours. If I know. you sit on the on the tarmac for an hour or two, three. Got a little scary. So, some some funny. They were not, everybody on the plane was nice. The flight attendant was amazing. It was a UA, uh, United flight, but there were some passengers volunteering to be the unruly passenger. <laughs> I will be the unruly pick because they have I'll to take, take you off. The rest of the they'll team. take you they'll off. They'll get all of us the, off. Yeah, they'll right. take you off out on the tarmac. So there were a lot of people. It wasn't you. No, I wasn't. <laughs> no, I was sulking. Next on Squawk Pub, breaking up is hard to do for the biggest technology companies. Is it even possible? We'll hear from Aussie Media founder Carlos Watson. Part of the regulation move is coming. You and I both know not only based on economic concerns. But certainly what happened in and around the election, what happened in and around January 6th. And tech journalist Alex Kantrowitz on big tech's balance of power. I don't think we get here if it isn't for the small and medium-sized businesses that say that big tech has been using its market power to squeeze them out. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Three, two, one, up and Andrew. Cue with Mike. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kern. And take a look at U.S. equity futures at this hour on a Tuesday morning. Did I say Tuesday morning? I think uh, we are not on Tuesday morning. What day? Um, Wednesday? Yeah, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. <laughs> uh, and here's what's making headlines at this hour, if I even knew what day it was. Uh, Microsoft has become the second company to be worth $2 trillion across that milestone during yesterday's trading. Apple is the only uh, other company to do so, currently worth about $2 trillion. The House Judiciary Committee is expected to mark up and vote on a number of tech antitrust bills that could break up some major tech giants. Uh, Google, Amazon, and Facebook are speaking out. I wonder, Elon Mui, um, whether the rare bipartisanship might rear its head on something like this that we don't see. These the tech companies aren't, can't fall back on that, on, on one of the other uh, parties protecting them at this point. Yeah, I mean, we are seeing Republicans and Democrats come together on this, but the companies are fighting back. They're saying that this package of bills could mean the end of their most popular services or at least make those services a lot less convenient. Google Maps, LinkedIn, even Find My iPhone, those could all take a hit. Now, this legislation covers companies with at least a $600 billion market cap and 50 million U.S. users or 100,000 business customers a month. Only Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft actually meet all of those metrics. Now, there are six bills all together, and each one has a slightly different target. There are bans on discrimination and self-preferencing, new standards for acquisitions, bright lines between different parts of the businesses, even an increase in merger fees. Now, lawmakers say that piecemeal approach helped them build a broader coalition. To your point, Joe, Democratic Representative David Cicilline and Republican Ken Buck introduced the package together. Each bill has both a Democratic and a Republican co-sponsor. Progressives, conservatives, moderates are all represented in this. And now the White House is throwing its weight behind this effort as well. In a statement, it said that the president is encouraged by the bipartisan work to address problems created by the big tech platforms. These platforms have transformed our daily lives and showcase our country's ingenuity and potential. But they also create real problems for users, small businesses, and for tech startups. So we are expecting the committee's debate over these bills to last all day and maybe even into the evening. And then we'll find out whose strategy will be the most successful. Back over to you guys. I thought we were going to have a debate here on the set that was going to last all day and into the evening. You know, so I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what that means for, uh, for, for what we're going to see. I- Squawk box at bedtime. <laughs> One thing that just occurred to me, and I, I know I, sometimes I take the cynical viewpoint, but so only six, the only companies that are really successful do we really care about. $600 billion. If they've built up a company to a market cap of $600 billion, then you're in the crosshairs. I mean, if you suck, like GE or, or Eastman Kodak, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. You know what I mean? Uh, you, guys, <laughs> you guys aren't competing with anyone. That's going to be a point of contention during the markup today. Why the $600 billion threshold? Why not 
$500 billion. Why not $700 billion? So that's certainly going to be one of the questions. The metric around users, that's going to be debated as well. And so that brings up the broader point. Is this really about rethinking antitrust or is this really about going after a handful of big U.S. companies? Because over in the Senate, the leading voice there is Senator Amy Klobuchar. She's yeah. the chair of the antitrust subcommittee. And she came out with her own bill that took a sort of more comprehensive view of antitrust. It changes the burden of proof. Um, it changes sort of the risk standard uh, for when mergers should be reviewed. Um, but that could affect more than just the tech industry. That could affect financial services as well. Um, what the House Judiciary Committee is proposing is really about just those handful of companies. And that is going to be, um, you know, up for debate during the many, many, many hours of this markup today. Because, you know, Elon, if you have a market cap of $600 billion, it's very likely your founder has one of those billions. Hence, the left has a major problem with that person. Uh, and we're going to see that. Uh, I'm join- anyway, uh, now I'm here editorializing, editorializing. Joining us now for more, Carlos Watson. Isn't that a given? <laughs> it's implied. We need a special. Ozzy, co-founder and CEO, and Alex Kantrowitz, founder of Substack Newsletter, Big Technologies, also a CNBC contributor. Alex, I, I, I saw you nodding when I said those nasty billionaires. <laughs> I know I can get you to agree with that. Carlos, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, I, my suggestion for you and all your business efforts, five ninety nine. Get to five ninety nine billion and then stop. Does that make sense to you? No, I, lo- I love that as a safe point, at least as a starting point, and then we'll have a, a beautiful 18-month run uh, after that. Look, I think that part of the regulation move is coming. You and I both know not only based on economic concerns, but certainly what happened in and around the election, what happened in and around January 6th, um, as well as some of the criticisms about uh, social media's maybe more addictive uh, nature, uh, particularly with young people and others. So I think all of those things are coming into play. And we're talking about it a little bit like we talked about Microsoft in the late 90s. But I really think we have kind of a different animal here. And it makes it kind of, I heard you and Andrew talking about it earlier, Becky talked about it as well. It's tough. It's not a black and white. You appreciate the innovation. You appreciate all the good services, but you also know that they're having massive societal impact. Not all of it good, not all of it clear, and not just business, but but societal impact as well. Alex, reading a a lot of your notes, I I think don't you think we, if we're going to go the European route for for antitrust, shouldn't we just admit it that it's not consumers or customers that we're worried about? We're worried about new entrants. We're worried about competitors. We're worried about job losses when when big companies put other uh, less agile competitors out of business. Let's just admit it if that's what we're going to head for. Because in the past, it's been, you know, we protect consumers and customers. It's kind of a different mindset than what you see over in Europe. Yeah, no doubt. I don't think we should or we will go the European route. I think whatever we end up passing is going to be much more narrow than that, even though we have the White House today saying that they're on board with this whole plan. Um, at the end of the day, I don't think we get here if it isn't for the small and medium-sized businesses that say that big tech has been using its market power to squeeze them out. And at the end of the day, the lifeblood of the economy is going to be those small and mid-sized businesses. So um, I think you're right. I think we're seeing an expansion of what antitrust means in this country. And that's what this debate is going to be about today. Do we want to keep it narrow like we had in the 1890s, or do we want to move it into something a little bit more broad? And that's what these bills represent. Alex, just being completely honest with what we're talking about, how much of the mm-hmm. income inequality debate and, and, and the 
the way that, that the haves versus the have-nots benefited during the pandemic, and especially a lot of billionaires. We've seen that number. We've seen they, they, they've added it up, the net worth of, of the top 100 people and how it increased during the pandemic. How much of that is factoring into sort of just the overall feelings toward these companies? So that yeah, should. I think it's a huge part. It's a huge part of it. Um, I, I think that that's you know, part of why you're seeing the Democrats put it forward. It's been part of their platform. They're looking at this stuff. And I, I, you know, I know we can have a debate about whether that should factor into the antitrust stuff or not. So uh, but I think it's a big part. And I think it's going to be a big public policy thing. And last thing I'll say is I'm not in favor of keeping Jeff Bezos in space. I know you brought it up before, but we'll let him come back. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Right. You got to We saw when Matt Damon got stuck up there, you know, without food. He was like using his poop to make potatoes. We don't need, we're not telling Bezos uh, he he needs to, you know, there's no, you can't stay up there. He's got to come back. Carlos, you mentioned January 6th, you mentioned some, which I don't know how you tie that into it, but I do, I do know how you tie it into it because what I was just alluding to, a lot of this, is it envy about what what the haves or, or the billionaires have? Because a lot of shareholders are in pension plans or four hundred one ks, and there's a lot of people that have benefited by, uh, you know, the increase in Amazon's price, the increase in Facebook. They, you know, they're, they're, it does get spread to more than just the founders. Well, you, you know, Joe, I don't think we would have had this if two things weren't true. One, if President Trump hadn't been banned from several of the social media platforms at least suspended. I think that brought Republicans into the conversation. And two, I think you're right. I think the kind of pandemic growth of some of these tech companies, the tremendous growth, I think, has brought about a certain level of concern. You know, I think the real opportunity here is not for Congress to kind of do piecemeal four, five, six bills, but really maybe a real need. Even the tech companies might find some benefit and President Biden stepping forth and kind of laying out kind of a larger roadmap going forward. I think there could be benefit from that in the same way that you saw around welfare reform in the mid-90s, you saw around the balanced budget initiative. And so even though we're talking about the Congress today and the 16-month investigation they had into it, in a weird and unexpected way, this may be a moment where uh, Google and Facebook, Amazon, others actually may want to see the White House play a bigger role than Congress. Well... We'll end on a positive note. It's just it's bipartisan. So we got that going for us, uh, yeah. at least uh, uh, that both sides are you know, crosshair from both sides on, on the back of these companies. Alex, thank you, Carlos. It's good to see you. Good to see you uh, again. All right. See you later. Thank you. And, Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Warren Buffett, halfway to his goal of giving away all his Berkshire Hathaway shares, that is. A new note from the Oracle of Omaha on the state of wealth and giving. He makes a lot of comments about philanthropy, which plays into what we've been hearing so much about billionaires and their how much they pay in taxes because of the ProPublica reports. Plus, Buffett's giving up more than money. We're back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely. 
positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. A new milestone today for billionaire investor Warren Buffett. Back in 2006, he pledged to eventually give away all of his Berkshire Hathaway shares to philanthropic endeavors. He's out with a note today with his annual contributions to five foundations. And he says as, as of today, he's made a yearly contribution of shares this time around worth $4.1 billion. He says that puts him halfway to his goal. Uh, he kind of lays this out. He said that back in June of 2006, he owned 474,998 A shares. He now owns half of that, 238,624 shares. The remaining shares are worth about $100 billion. He has given away $41 billion over the last 16 years in these installments to these five philanthropies. So he has given away half of his Berkshire Hathaway shares. But what's interesting is the half he gave away, if he'd held on to it to now, would be worth $100 billion. It's that kind of age-old question of when do you give your money away, how long do you hold on to it to compound it and maybe make more use of it. But he says he's halfway to his goal of giving away all all of his shares in Berkshire Hathaway. And what's interesting about this is he makes a lot of comments about philanthropy, which plays into what we've been hearing so much about billionaires and their how much they pay in taxes because of the ProPublica reports. He also says that he is resigning from the board of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, he says just as he's done all corporate boards other than Berkshire's, he says the CEO of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is Mark Sussman, an outstanding recent selection who has his full support says the goals are 100 percent in sync with those of the foundation and his physical participation is in no way needed to achieve those goals. Um, but, guys, this plays into a lot of different things that we've been seeing here. The five foundations that he gives away to, Bill and Melinda Gates is one of them. There are the three foundations run by his children and the one of his late wife, uh, Susan uh, Thompson Buffett. Um, Those are the five foundations that give it. But he makes a lot of different points here, that dynastic wealth remains an option in America. He says it's less the norm here than in other countries, but he thinks it will likely diminish. The appeal of that dynastic wealth will uh, diminish over time. Kind of brings up the the front that philanthropy is a hot topic right now and one that is worthy uh, for Congress to periodically revisit the tax policy for charitable contributions, particularly in respect to donors, he he says, who get imaginative with this. So it plays into some of those comments, but there's kind of a lot to go through. Um, Andrew, have you been looking at... Yeah. I'm looking at at the same note, and there's a couple of of thoughts. One is, and I'm curious where you, where you land on this, uh, by stepping off the board uh, as a trustee and stepping off now, what does that mean about his future uh, donations, planned donations to the foundation? Uh, unclear to me I, I, I where that stands. I, I, I don't well, think I th- it would change it. I, I, I only say this in the context that, of course, Bill and Melinda are getting divorced, as we know. I think there's lots of questions about what the future of that foundation looks like, uh, about the power dynamic with with it in that foundation, um, and I think that I, I don't know obviously whether these 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 two things are related. Uh, Bill and Melinda supposedly are planning, or at least have said that they plan to remain trustees uh, of of that board. Right. Uh, so it's interesting to see. Uh, that he is stepping back from that board, especially given... I think it would uh, raise a lot the- more questions if he wasn't making this donation at the same time. Um, just by the fact that he's stepping down as he's making this donation, that leads me to think right. 
he must be continuing with it. He goes out of his way to say that his goals are 100 percent in sync with those of the foundation and his physical participation is in no way needed to achieve those goals. So he is making the right. donation today as he says that. Um, but, but you're right to bring it up and, and, and to say it's something that should be focused and I on. Think, but I just think I think there's been a lot of questions out in Seattle right now about what what I mean, look, it's it's probably the most powerful and influential uh, foundation in the world. They've given away more money uh, than any foundation uh, in history. I believe even if you, if you did it on an inflation-adjusted basis uh, mm-hmm. back with the Rockefellers and the Carnegies, um, <laughs> has had a huge impact, obviously, um, in the world of uh, health, uh, even during this past year and, and, past, past, and this pandemic. But it, within the world of philanthropy and even public policy, depending on what you think the future is going to holds for them, I think that this may uh, maybe something that people are going to raise eyebrows at. The, the well, second I think that, piece, that, that though, probably, it probably plays to that point. I think where he mentions that it's fitting, he thinks, for Congress to periodically revisit the tax policy. I, I think that's an acknowledgement that you will see greater scrutiny of what charitable foundations are allowed to do, what uh, big donors are allowed to do in terms of deducting some of those, um, some of the, well, the goes, gifts that they I give. Mean, this goes to the issue that it's it's funny because I've been talking about this, as you know, we've talked about it for a long time. That mm-hmm. I have a view, and and I wonder whether. He now is starting to, to move to this view that uh, effectively unrealized gains, which is what he has, uh, that get donated. And the same with Bill Gates and so many of the other uh, billionaires on those lists. Um, those unrealized gains get sent to a charity. Uh, charities don't pay taxes. And so none of that wealth ever gets taxed. And I think there's a real question in this country about at some point whether whether the country uh, should tax some or get some benefit beyond the philanthropic benefit that that money uh, is going towards. Though I have also seen him make comments that he believes that the money will do better in philanthropic hands uh, than necessarily simply by lowering the debt, for example, in the, in the United States. So well, he's made it's, comments it's, in the past that, in, that philanthropies can do things that governments can't. They can get involved right. with uh, almost... Um, you could think of them as um, kind of early venture uh, in trying to do some more experimental things that government wouldn't. He stopped short of, of really saying exactly what his thoughts are, but does say that it's it's worthy of can congressional can we review. Can talk about any of the, the spicy stuff? I mean, uh, the ProPublica thing probably didn't sit well uh, with Warren. Uh, obviously, I've always said he's, there's that line down there. He can always give more if he wants. He always is complaining about his secretary paying less. He can always just send more in. And what about... Well, is he distancing in 99% of I know, but is he distancing himself at all from, from Gates based on some of the other more spicy things going on with... I don't uh, know. In his case, the $41 billion of Berkshire shares that he's donated to the Find Five Foundation has led to about 40 cents on tax savings for every $1,000 that he's given. Um, but that's because he doesn't have a very high income. You know, it's, it, most of his wealth is tied up with this. He makes the point that most of his wealth is not an income. If you want to go after the income tax, you're not going to get it. If you want to change the wealth but, tax or create a wealth tax. That's a different you remember, story. But you remember he used to say, I'm going to you know, not give any money away till later because I can compound it so much better right. than other people. But that implies that once he's compounded it, he's going to philanthropically give it away. So now we're... No, he is. He's doing what he said. It's just, I think there's such a huge conversation that needs to take place in this country and that is taking place at this point about what we do with the tax laws. It'll probably get a lot more attention. And that's the podcast for today. Buffett's halfway through his billions. We're halfway through the week. 
Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And hey, follow us on social media. If I had said the word TikTok to you three years ago, you would have looked at your watch. That's still you, what I, I would say if you, if you said TikTok. But we're not hip enough for TikTok, but we are on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. Please listen to and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we will meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.